And I think that's the most important thing is that if you're not having fun, like what are you, what are you even doing? <laughs> I think that's the most important takeaway here. Just a heads up, these words and opinions are mine and my own, much like Gollum and the One Ring. We will attempt to keep most of this as spoiler free as possible, but if you have any questions about the material in this episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to doublemoonletters at gmail.com. Thank you, enjoy the podcast. Andiamo! Welcome to Letters from a Double Moon. My name is Nahima, and thank you for your presence here tonight. As per usual, how have you all been? It's been quite a while again, I know. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to make this a monthly thing, just for my own sanity and peace of mind. Um, But basically, yeah, life's just been alright so far. New job's going okay. Reading a little bit in between, trying to get this organised in between, it's all, and also playing games, it's all pretty hunky-dory, trying to knit as well, so life's going pretty full-on for me at the moment, and I hope it's not so much as full-on for yourselves, (laughs) we'll just say that. Um, I did find an interesting game though that did come out last year, that I've only just discovered, and I'll bless you with my knowledge of it. It's called Ghostwire Tokyo, and it's essentially a game where you play someone who I think is in a car accident or something like that. It's not too clear, at least it wasn't for me. And he gets possessed by this entity with powers who then um, encourages him to get out there and kill yokai, or like, um, I guess in English the word would be like a demon or a monster or something, like a fairy tale creature that's for evil. Um, and yeah, you just kind of wander through Tokyo, Shibuya, Harajuku, all those districts, um, and you get to kill Yokai with your fingers, um, spouting out little <laughs> jets of power. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's pretty cool, so I've been enjoying that. Um, if you've played that game before, do let me know how you found it. I'd love to know a bit more about it because I honestly, I've played like maybe about 20 minutes and I'm really enjoying it. So, yeah, apart from trying to shift the perspective and pivot a little bit with this podcast, um, I've been wanting to talk about this book for a little while. It was part of a, an initiative, I guess you could say, that was... Uh, through my university, my uni, and um, I don't believe it's um, active anymore. So I don't know if you're able to get your hands on this book or if there's any way that you would be able to. But essentially, um, this initiative would bring 18th century, um, or maybe 19th century, sorry, Gothic Australian literature and kind of celebrate that. Um bring it 
to the fore in an anthology or in a collection and kind of just dust off the covers in a way and give it a bit of light to kind of shine on. And it really was quite successful, this um, initiative, when I was part of it. It was a publishing house called Corella Press, an imprint of the University of Queensland. And this book that I want to talk about is the, I think it's a fourth book that they did. So essentially there was, um, they partnered with Austlit to kind of source the material for these particular um, projects. And this one was donated to um, this organization, uh, you know, generously donated by the estate holders of this author. And it really, yeah, it's a very special book in a very special time and and from a very special author, we'll say, as well. Um, so the book that I want to talk about today is Death of a Nom de Plume by Dorothy Blewett. Let's hook the book for you, shall we? Death of a Nom de Plume is, yeah, it's really interesting. It's a little cozy murder mystery that's set in Cornwall in a village uh, called Treneth. And that one essentially, I'm not sure where Treneth is in Cornwall, but anyway, it's on the coast of, of the UK, of England. Um, and it's this beautiful little seaside town that's just so provincial. Everyone knows each other. They're all really, it's all really a small community. And um, suddenly one day it appears that there's been a murder. And a murder of not just anyone, but of a really famous author called Orlando Richards. So what happened, though, with Orlando Richard was he was um, strangled. Uh, And then, like, a pillow was put over his face, I guess, to smother him. So it was kind of a a violent and brutal kind of ending. Um, And so what happens is the there's this cop or this Bobby, I don't know, policeman from (laughs) some kind of detective. There we go. I got that. From Scotland Yard. So from London, he comes up to Cornwall um, and up to Treneth from um, like his usual stopping grounds and so he's a bit out of his depth here because he's never really been up this way and he's not too sure about the area he certainly doesn't know the people um, he certainly doesn't even know the local constabulary so the local um, cops there the local police uh, people there he doesn't really always see eye to eye with them and that kind of um, brings the investigation to interesting twists and turns because they don't really trust him and he doesn't trust them um, and it's centers around Orlando Richard who is a prolific writer let's say he's like the Stephen King or um he was like a romance writer so let's see he'd be the I don't know the Colleen Hoover of um of this particular story in this particular world um or maybe Ellie Hazelwood I don't know anyway (laughs) it's a bunch of imagineers um really what what kind of character he is and that's just to say though that he is a very famous viral kind of sensation and his death brings a lot of um a lot of sadness to the town because they're like oh no this is such a tragedy we've lost a really bright star in the firmament of the writing world and on top of that the publisher um for Orlando Richard has to come up and identify the body. But there's a twist here because 
No one has ever actually seen Orlando Richard or met him, let alone know what he looks like to know how to identify his body. So that was the first kind of um, tick, I guess you could say, in the story. And it um, it's really a bit of a a bit of a major plot point that no one knew who he was, um, and no one knew what he looked like, uh, because then you kind of go, well, who actually was he? And then it turns out maybe not everything is as it seems here. Um, but then yeah, the writing itself for this was extraordinary. Dorothy Blewett does a really good job. Um, I'm sure she's probably been to this area because she moved to London in the 50s, so she might have gone up to Cornwall at some point. Um, I, I don't know how close Cornwall is to London, but I'm assuming it's somewhat closer than, say, uh, Brisbane and Melbourne. Like, you wouldn't go on a day trip to Melbourne from Brisbane. Uh, I mean, you could if you flew, but <laughs> not if you, say, drove, like what these characters uh, tend to do. Um... So along the way, you meet all these colourful characters. You meet um, Penny, who's the the detective. You meet um, this artist called Jessica, who's actually not really an artist, and she um, she's actually terrible at art. So she's like gave up her job just to be an artist, but then um, like failed miserably because she actually didn't have any talent. Um, then there's Alistair, who's another writer for the publishing house that Orlando Richard is part of. There's, um, Tasman, who is, I believe, some kind of right-hand man to the publisher, um, Jonah. She's some kind of administrative, maybe a PA or, I'm not too sure. She wouldn't be like a secretary or anything, but she's definitely someone that kind of makes the, the cogs turn in that publishing house. So she's a very important character. Um, you meet Uncle Willem and you meet as well Constable Travascus. Um, he's the, the Cornish um, constable. Yeah, there we go. Uh, he's the Cornish constable that kind of um, helps but also hinders the investigation at times. So there's just a slew of interesting characters and they're very much um, in the realm of this cosy mystery that's on the seaside and you'd love to be curled up inside kind of reading the story as you live vicariously the life of a like a seaman, a sea woman, sea person, whatever you want to call them. Um, person who lives by the sea. I mean, a lot of us do. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but this is more that special kind of seaside town that's very much, it has that provincial vibe, that um, coastal air that's just very unique and it's not necessarily like other sort of coastal towns that might be very touristy and popular. This one's very quiet and closeted. So the book essentially just follows this murder uh, and the, the scandals that kind of appear because of it and then follows um, the the consequences that each character kind of faces for lying to, say, the police or lying to each other, to themselves, um, or, like, just not being entirely truthful. So this book uncovers a lot of truth and a lot of lies and secrets. There's lots of skeletons in everyone's closets. And... Towards the end, there is obviously that, as with most murder mysteries, there is that big reveal where everyone's gathered in a room and he, 
the detective um, Penny. Actually, is he a detective or is he a chief inspector? Superintendent. There we go. So he's a superintendent and um, he kind of makes that big reveal. Um, but then it turns out that not all is that as it seems. So they have to work a little bit harder for the ending when they finally achieve it. It's like this big uh, climactic ending, this big breath of fresh air that's kind of just, oh, we finally did it. We finally made it. Yeah, so basically with um, Death of an Omniplume, it has themes in it that you would expect of a normal kind of uh, murder mystery of this type. It's very, it reflects like Agatha Christie, it reflects, um, actually I can't even think of any other crime writers except for Agatha Christie at this point in time. Um, maybe Arthur Conan Doyle bringing back to our Sherlock uh, episode. But essentially, it just, there's, the, the thing that makes this book special and unique is the, not only the, the fact that this is like, you can feel the femininity kind of in the authorial voice, um, even though it's quite neutral, like you don't really overly feel like this is, oh, this is written by a woman when you pick it up and read it. Um, but it does have that femininity behind it and you can kind of really feel that in the female characters. Um, they're really well fleshed out. They're very, um, realistic, strong, grounded women. They're not necessarily airy-fairy, that boob, breastily boobs along the, the footpath or whatever. Um, or is it boobs breastily? I can't remember. Anyway, that's much of a muchness. So, (laughs) um... So yeah, with Jessica, she is the artist that, um, actually she owns the cottage that this murdered man ends up living in, um, and she rents it to him just so that she can get a bit of income since she's not owning any as a right, um, uh, an artist. Um, and you kind of get drawn into the world of the writers a little bit as well, so you kind of see a little behind the scenes perspective with, with, uh, publishing and how that all works and how that all worked and say, Seeker 50s um, England because this book was actually written around 1958 and it's I would say is set around the similar time frame um it doesn't seem to be too futuristic nor in the past it's not like it's wartime or anything like that it's sort of, it mentions the war uh which would then be World War Two. um at that stage but it it just kind of mentions it in passing and said look Uncle William was in the well Uncle Willem was in the Navy and he um had some damage due to that his service that sort of thing so that kind of mentions it there touches on it but it's not a huge part of the story which then means that it's well past and I think another really interesting theme apart from the you know the femininity the strong realistic grounded women in this story there's also um like an interesting perspective for the other side of the fence, the male characters. They're actually a lot more emotional um, and a lot more, what's the word? Like when I say emotional, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I literally just mean like they're a lot more emotive. They speak their feelings and not afraid to kind of show what goes on behind in their heart. And yeah, it's really refreshing, honestly, because half the time you get um, these sorts of 
books, these sorts of stories, and the women might be slightly hysterical and the men just really stoic and steadfast and, oh, let's hold the fort and make sure everything is okay, that sort of thing. But they're not like that. They're quite atypical kind of characters, in my opinion, anyway. Obviously, all of this is my opinion. Yeah, I think um, it's just interesting because it's just not really something that you see a lot in this genre all this time so I'd say that this sort of story whilst it's timeless also deserves to have a modern uplift a modern redo a modern facelift just to have it a bit more interesting and more real and more maybe less harmful um, in a way to people who just think that they need to act a certain way and they don't really need to at all they can be emotive they can be beautiful and vulnerable and all that good stuff um, the writing in this book, I think I touched on it earlier, but the writing is just so incredibly beautiful and paints pictures that just, uh, they're just so lovely. Like I'm having a read of the book while I'm kind of, um, while I'm talking and I'm just having a little read now and I can see there's this bit where it says, um, like you can't blow your nose in this village without being heard, which I think is incredibly funny, but also incredibly true. Um, I don't think I have ever been to a sort of place like this where everything's really intimate and really all up in your grill, but I think it definitely makes sense, especially for, you know, um, for European or like British European um, environments, because the population is aging, I suppose, and then it's always been that way but there's always just been like the younger ones move to the city and then the older ones kind of stay and they they love to gossip about what's happening with their family members in the cities and there's all those kind of dynamics that happen where everyone's just very uh knit tight knit tight knit and they're very much um loyal to each other i think as well um what's really interesting about this um, story about death of an homme de plume is that there's they integrate as well um, not drug use but just I suppose it's all implied but it's essentially it brings like that dangerous element that unknown element with narcotics and kind of envelops it into the story and kind of adds it on uh, in different aspects so there's the danger of um, you know, the unknown of knowing who actually is behind the crime, of knowing why there's, like, drugs. I think the character who died, um, Roland Richards, or Orlando Richard, if you want to call him that, um, even though, um, yeah, just things happen with that later in the story. Um, yeah, he had it in a pie in his, like, little vials of heroin in a pie in his fridge um so he it seemed would have been running and selling that sort of um material just for the purpose i guess of earning money that's basically a lot of the time that's what they mentioned this whole kind of scenario is about it's just earning more money and the character are really are really quite greedy in this aspect and they're really greedy in the story you can kind of tell that could be why that he kind of was too greedy and therefore you know he did warrant his own death um, yeah, so it's just, this book is just so refreshing for the genre and I really love 
Even she even mentions like bees flying around, and you all know how much I love bees. Um, but she mentions the environment. She mentions the people. She mentions the sea, and she mentions um, like the love and the emotions that are just pouring from everyone in the story. Um, and I find that a really interesting kind of aspect. In any case, though, now I think is going to be the time. And I think you know what's coming. Um, and now is going to be the time for me to give my little moment of indulgence and just speak my gratitude for the author. And I just hope that while I do this, you can take some time to have a think as well about any author that you're reading at the moment that you'd love to give gratitude to. So let me begin. <laughs> Dear Dorothy, you had such a colourful life, seeing sights all over the world. Moving to London must have been a big achievement, even back then. I wonder what it is like to be so far from home. At least you weren't alone. You write with such beauty. I don't know why, but your work had such a profound effect on me, and made me homesick for a place I've never been, or ever known. I hope that after all this time your legacy will continue and standing up for the rights of writers whose voices are suppressed. That's really something special. If only we could all take a leaf out of your book and write with that leaf, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. With an ever-loving heart, Nahima. So today, or tonight rather, we've spent some time Thinking, talking and laughing about Dorothy Blewett's Death of a Norm de Plume and I think the takeaway for me for this one is just that when you do take your time to read books or even write them or even just like do little writing exercises just take some time to just try and be real try and delve into your authentic self and just really try and eke out the voice inside that just, yeah, wants to let go and be free and have fun. And I think that's the most important thing is that if you're not having fun, like, what are you, what are you even doing? <laughs> I think that's the most important takeaway here. But if you enjoyed today's episode, send us an email at doublemoonletters at gmail.com or leave a rating. It would be greatly appreciated. Next time, we're going to be doing a book about a fish shaped like soy sauce bottle. Um, no, not really, but that's on the front cover. So if you can already guess what that one is, um, yeah, just have a think about, cheeky think about what that book might be. But it's about a girl who's a bit out of her depth in the world and the people are trying to tell her um, to be more than what she wants to be. So that's me for this episode, listeners. I hope you enjoyed my contribution to the world of lit podcasting. Until we read again, stay safe out there, wherever you might find yourself. Moon, 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 moon.